Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with his sermon entitled, Prepare to Meet Your Lord, preached on January 14, 1996. If you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 25. Evangelical Christianity is a mixed bag. There is a branch or a stream of Christianity, very popular indeed, that teaches that if you mentally assent, agree with the facts of Christianity once in your life, you will be saved forever no matter how you live. A very popular branch of evangelical Christianity. Then there is another branch that says if you believe in the gospel then you will be able to enjoy better health. You will be able to amass great wealth and you'll be able to have great power and position in this world. And then there is another branch that says if you believe in the gospel, then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will bark like dogs and other animals and and you will laugh like the drunkards. The more you laugh like that, it is a demonstration that you are really an evangelical Christian who loves God. And then, of course, there is the biblical Christianity, which we endeavor to proclaim. And that is, God saves sinners. And if God saves sinners, then those who are so saved will love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And will do good works demonstrating they are truly Christians. That is biblical Christianity. We want to look at this portion of scripture that is read. The parable of the ten virgins. Which only appear in the gospel of Matthew. Prepare to meet your Lord. This parable of the ten virgins is set in the context of Matthew 24 and the rest of Matthew 25 that deal with the second coming of Christ. They speak of the need for our readiness to meet him when he comes. No one knows the day or the hour of his second coming. Even though false prophets have predicted such day and hour and month and year only to make themselves odious to the world. And let me say to you, they will continue to predict and make themselves fools in the eyes of the world. But Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. No apostle knew. No believer knows. 
No angel knows, not even Jesus Christ knows. Only the Father knows that. But the truth is, he is coming. That is very certain. Even as Jesus prophesied his death and resurrection, which came to pass, he also prophesied his sure return to this planet from heaven to judge his enemies and to save his people. He will come suddenly. When no one expects, like a thief in the night, he will come. He will come personally. He will come visibly that all the nations will see him. And they will mourn while those who love the Lord shall rejoice greatly. He will come visibly that all will see him. He will come with angels. He will come with trumpet sounds. And he will come in glory and in power. Those who are faithful and wise will be received by him. As we read in the 45th verse of chapter 24 of Matthew. The wicked servants will be judged by him. The faithful and wise servants are those who know the will of God. And faithfully do them we are told. They are prepared to meet him. They are the ready ones. Who those who know the will of God. The will of the master and do them. They are wise. And the wicked servant. Who is he? Those who know the will of God. And refuse to do the will of God. But live a life of wickedness in the interim. So preparation for the second coming of Christ. Does not consist in a passive mode of watching and waiting in a monastery. The wise who are busy doing the will of God in his absence, they are the ones who will be ready and those who are ready will enter into the banqueting hall. First then let us look at the ten virgins the parable speaks about. As I interpret this parable, ten virgins represent the visible church. Of course, there are those who would say that this parable has absolutely nothing to do with the church. In fact, there are many theologians who would say that the entire Gospels have nothing to do with the church. Because the entire Gospels speak to the Jewish people. And the church, of course, was an afterthought in the mind of God. In fact, there are people who who will not carry the whole Bible. They will carry only the book of Acts, part of it, and probably a couple of epistles of Paul like Ephesians and, and Philippians and Colossians. Now, I feel sorry for them and we ought to pray for them that their eyes will be opened. Scholars who will tell you that you get nothing from the Sermon on the Mount. As I said, the ten virgins refer to the professing church, which consists of both the believers and the phony believers. They all are called virgins. 
a symbol of purity. But five are phony, pharisaical professors only. The other five profess that Jesus is Lord and practice the implication of that confession by serving the Lord with gladness. Let's look at the foolish virgins. In order to meet the bridegroom, there was especially one requirement. The requirement of bright, blazing light of a torch in the night. They would hear the cry, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go out to meet him. Then they are to light the torches and go out to meet him and join the procession with him to go into the place of feasting and celebration. Let me tell you that we do not really have a detailed history of the marriage custom of the time of Jesus. So we can only reconstruct somewhat of the custom that prevailed during the time of Jesus. First, of course, there was betrothal. And we are told about the betrothal, the espousal of Mary and Joseph. And this betrothal was pretty serious. And it cannot be dissolved except by a legal divorce. Then after about a year, marriage takes place on a Wednesday if you are a virgin. And on a Thursday if you are a widow. The bridegroom and party go to the house of the bride where certain ceremonies take place. There will be feasting there. And then there is a procession generally at night to the home of the bridegroom's parents. Friends join this procession with lighter torches, not little lamps that would go out in the wind. Torches were long poles with oil-drenched rags at the top. These torches required large amount of olive oil, which must be carried in flasks. The torches burn about 15 minutes, then it must be drenched again with oil from the flask. It is required that friends of the bridegroom honor him with a burning torch and join him in the procession. If anyone is found without a torch, he is considered an enemy of the bridegroom, the one who will dishonor him. The torches, of course, as I said, resist wind and gave a bright light. This great light in the night greatly added to the joyful celebration. Those with such torches who are in the procession will be admitted to the feasting with the bridegroom in his house or in the house of his parents. Those without lights will not be admitted but excluded from the joyous celebration. And the requirement was known to all. But notice, the foolish, the stupid, the lazy, the thoughtless, the careless, the unthinking virgins who come to church putting their mind in neutral, who come to church for inspiration only, who come to church for massage 
but not interested in understanding the implication of the gospel. The Bible says they took the torches, but they did not take any oil. These were like that one guest in the parable of the wedding feast who lacked the one thing that was needful, which was the wedding garment. Of course, when you look at the foolish virgins and the wise virgins, there are a lot of similarities. They can fool you. They all are virgins, we are told. They all had torches. They all slept. They all woke up. They all trimmed their torches. When they heard in the middle of the night, behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. They all intended to be in the procession to meet the bridegroom. They all intended to feast with the bridegroom. These foolish virgins in almost all respects look like the wise virgins. In the same way, there are professing Christians who look like true believers. In the same church, they confess Christ, they carry Bibles, they join a church, they regularly worship, they give it to the church, they perform certain religious duties, yet the truth is they are not true believers. Now look at the wise virgins. The wise virgins differed from the foolish in one respect especially. They alone exercised their minds. They were thoughtful. They learned of the one requirement of torchlight during the procession. They knew without the blazing light of the torch, they will be excluded from the procession and the feasting that followed with the bridegroom. So they put this knowledge into practice. They are those who know the will of God and put that knowledge into practice. They therefore took the torch as well as ample supply of olive oil in jars. The wise virgins are those who, who are true believers, who are not led by enthusiasm of emotionalism, but they are led by the understanding of the gospel. It is God who gave us a mind. And with this mind, the first thing we ought to do is to think about God. These wise virgins chose, they possessed the one thing that was needful. When you reflect upon the parables of the soil, there were four parables of the soil. You notice, only the fourth soil people understood the gospel. So we read... In Gospel of Matthew 13, the chapter, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He alone produces a crop yielding a hundred sixty or thirty times what was sown. Understands it. This means Soil number one and two and three did not understand the gospel. Therefore, they did not produce any fruit at all. Because they did not understand the gospel, their faith was false and dead, and they became unfruitful. Faith comes by hearing and understanding the gospel. And this gospel requires us to take up our cross and follow Christ. 
which requires us to not only call Jesus Lord with our lips, but worship him with our heart and serve him daily with gladness. Faith in Christ is a living trust in Christ. False and foolish virgins are false believers who receive Jesus Christ in order that their life in this world may be made more exciting and successful. They do not think about life to come. They want health and they want wealth. They want power in this world. They want a life without troubles in this world. In other words, the wise virgins are those who, in whom the Holy Spirit applies the redemption of Christ. The inner reality, not just some external conformity. And what is this oil? I must say, it represents the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Paul said in Romans 8 and verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. The oil represents the work of the Holy Spirit in the soul of the believer. And on the basis of that, the believer spontaneously, personally, and truly love God and obey God with great delight. What are the works of the Holy Spirit? First, of course, it is the effectual calling that brings about regeneration. See, God regenerates his people, wicked sinners, by the power of the Spirit of God, are brought to life. Those who are dead and unresponsive toward God are made responsive to God. That's the work of the Spirit called regeneration. And as a result, they are brought to such a conviction of sin, they repent of their sins. Repentance is an inward reality. And then... They exercise true faith in Jesus Christ. Fides est fiducia. That you entrust yourself into the person of Jesus Christ. That's real faith. Not believing mentally certain facts of Christianity. True faith is an entrustment of myself to Christ now and forever. And such a person is justified by faith. In other words, God pronounces this amazing pronouncement that you are just. God puts into his account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so you are just now and forever clothed in the irreproachable righteousness of Jesus Christ. And such a person is adopted into the family of God. And therefore you call Abba Hopater. And the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you causes you to be sanctified. As a result of that work, we hate sin more and more. And we love the will of God more and more. And finally, such a person 
will be glorified, made perfect without fault, with exceeding joy, we shall be presented to God the Father. The wise virgins have inner reality, in other words, of being made conformable to the image of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1. And let me read to you from verse 5 on. This is speaking about wise virgins as well as foolish virgins. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive what? A rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will not be excluded. You will be invited and included. The door shall open so widely for you. But if not, you are a foolish virgin, blind. Nearsighted means I only see my life in this world here and now. I'm interested in my body, my pain, my aches, my problems. That's all I see. That's what nearsightedness is. Being taken off with the affairs of this world only. Nearsighted means as in the days of Noah... And as in the days of Lord, nearsighted people will be eating and drinking and planting and harvesting and buying and selling. Completely engrossed in this world. That's what nearsightedness is. The wise people are effectual and protective in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not nearsighted. They are not taken up with this world. They live in this world, but not of this world. They are always thinking about the world to come. They are not blind. They do not forget. They are going to be given a rich welcome. And let me tell you who are these. They are the elect of God. Let's turn to Matthew 24. And look at verse 22. And we bump into this word called elect. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And look at verse 24. And there we read, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, and then there is a dash. It says what? If that were possible, in other words, the elect of God will not be deceived by magicians and false Christs. 
And let's look at verse 31. And it says, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. The elect will meet with him. The elect will be saved. The elect will be given such abundance entrance into the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be ready? Let me tell you, it means active obedience. It is not some passivity. The wise are those who read the scriptures to know the will of God. And the love of God. They are ever engaged in communing with God in the Holy Scripture. Jesus said, watch and pray lest you come into temptation. There are people who will pray to God regularly and have communion with God. This is their life. While others are eating potato chips and watching their sports and just relax. A child of God is engaged in the knowing of the will of God and loving the will of God. And they are people who are convicted on a regular basis concerning their sin, so they repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. They are active. They witness to the world in word and in deed. As we read in Luke 19 and verse 13, it says, Occupy until I come. They are busily engaged in the performance of the duties that have been entrusted to us. Number six, they are separate from the world in thought and lifestyle. They are not worried about conforming to the fashion of this world. They enjoy in becoming radically different from the world. They are not engrossed in eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building as the foolish ones will be. They are engaged in the things of God. And number eight, let me tell you, the wise virgins have one thing that animates them, that motivates them. That impels them and compels them and constrains them to live. And that, of course, is the second coming of Christ. Now let's read Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 8. And 28 we read, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let me tell you, the wise are waiting for the Savior to come. And the wise know the time is unknown, so they are vigilant on a daily basis. Revelation 16 verse 15, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Vigilance on a daily basis simply because we do not know when he's going to come. Thirdly, they are waiting for the coming of Christ because they will 
be rewarded. Matthew 16 and verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. What we do now has some bearing in terms of his coming and his rewarding us. Every foolish word we speak, and every foolish thought we think, and every foolish deed we do, have eternal implications. We are looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because when he comes, we will receive a glorious body. So in Philippians 3.21, Jesus Christ who is coming, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See, I am not believing that if you are a believer, you will have a body filled with health, that you will have no trouble. That's a lie. We are waiting for a body, a glorious body, like unto the body of Jesus Christ. Until then, we will have trouble just like everybody else. But my grace will be sufficient for you, the Bible says. And in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, we are told that what is the hope of the church? And let me read to you, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our hope. You see, regeneration caused us to look heavenward. Before regeneration, we were looking downward. How to make money, how to get some pleasure, pursuit of happiness. Look at the politicians. What are they promising to you? Every election cycle, they are promising to you more money. Because they all are blind. They don't know one thing about the kingdom of God and the coming of our Savior. But the blessed hope... Is not in your children, in your mother, in your uncle, in your husband. The blessed hope is the coming of Christ. And because of this, we ought to do something. First Timothy 6 verse 14 tells us to keep this commandment without sport or blame until the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The church is ever vigilant in this process called sanctification we are getting more holy and less sinful because we are preparing ourselves to meet the bridegroom and the wedding dress is the works of the saints produced by the might and power of the Holy Spirit And let me tell you something else. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. There is Paul in prison. About to be executed by a Roman emperor. For his faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen to him. What he is telling us. Now there is in store for me. You see there is the hope. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous church, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. 
love is appearing. But let us be very honest. I was studying this and the Lord told me, do you love my appearing? And I had to confess. I said, no, I don't. Do you hope my appearing? The truth is I don't. As I should hope. Let us confess that we will consider it an intrusion into our enjoyment of life. It will be a suspension of our plan and program rather than an enhancement of our life with eternal joy. And the truth is, today's churches, they don't want him to come. They are praying, don't come, Lord Jesus, now. That was not the prayer of John the Apostle. He said, come, Lord Jesus. But we said, don't do it, O God. I haven't achieved the American dream, which is the pursuit of happiness. Think about it. And in 1 Peter 5 verse 4 speaks about when he comes he shall give you the crown of glory. And 1 John 3 tells us when he comes we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. Let me say to you this delay, remember there was delay. This delay is a problem. But delay differentiates wise from fools. If the bridegroom came right away during the day, they probably would not have the need of a torch. But he did not come right away. From the point of view of the virgins, there was a great delay. They all slept, we are told. There is no blame attached to that. But let me tell you, delay is of divine design. It differentiates the wise and the foolish. The wise is prepared for the delay. The foolish receives the gospel with joy and great enthusiasm, but without understanding. Without understanding that there will be troubles and persecutions because of the gospel. They did not think about such a consequence, so they wither away. The foolish is for a gospel that prevents them from troubles and problems. They want a gospel that will make them happy without troubles. The true believer is ready. He is prepared for the delay and all disappointments. He rejoices in tribulations also because in him dwells the reality of the gospel, the Holy Spirit. The true believer of God's grace shall persevere to the very end. He who began a good work in him shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he says, nothing, not even death shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Death, life, angels, demons, powers, present, future, high depth, nor any other creation shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But let me tell you, the foolish who suspended their mind for all of their life will suddenly will begin to think. Thinking at the last late hours. They all trimmed their torches, they lit them, but the torches of the foolish were immediately going out 
where people don't think until the last moment when thinking is useless. Unprepared. That's what stupidity is all about. Or let me tell you about people who live a life of ease and laziness and all of a sudden when you hit 50 and 55, they want to think about retirement. There is nothing to retire, Sonny. You were wasting your life. You have not saved up anything. You are like a fool. You ought to be going to an ant and learn something. That's what laziness and stupidity and idiocy mean. They never thought about the reality of oil before. Now they want to borrow from another. No, it is too late. You cannot borrow relationship with Christ from another on that day. You cannot borrow reality of the kingdom of God from another. Just like you cannot borrow pregnancy by asking a pregnant woman, give me some pregnancy. It doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. It is a personal thing. It is based on a relationship, a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. The day of Christ Jesus will bring sobriety to foolish people who never wanted to know truly what the gospel was all about. They were too busy making money, isn't it? Only for somebody else to take it. (laughs) You fool. You spend all your life making money or not making money. The day of Christ will differentiate the wise from the foolish, the phony from the true, the imitation from the authentic. Excluded or included. The wise trimmed their torches. They drenched the torch with oil from their flasks. They lit the torch and there was a blazing flame. They went out in procession to meet the bridegroom. They were ready and they went in with the bridegroom to the banquet. Joyful celebration in the presence of the bridegroom that never ends. Later others came, the foolish ones, we are not told they came with the blazing torches. But the sad thing, it says in verse 12, the door was shut. It's a note of great pathos. It is a tragedy. And we read the same language in Genesis 7, 16. Oh, Noah preached. For many, many years he preached about the flood that is coming. God is sick and tired of the violence of the earth. And he's going to destroy by a flood. And he was building the ark, a big ark, to float in the water. People saw it, and they treated that gospel with contempt. And finally, Noah came and his family and animals. And then we are told, the Lord shut the door of the ark into which Noah and family were admitted. I'm sure when the rain came down, many others came to get into the ark and be safe. But the door was shut. Shut by the Lord himself. And when he shuts, no one is able to open it. Excluded forever from eternal blessing of being with the Lord. The thoughtless, the stupid, the careless, the lazy, the purely emotional. 
the undisciplined, the unprepared. They are excluded. And yes, you will hear a voice, but the door will not be opened. And what the voice would say, I never knew you. See, now Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find and knock and it shall be opened to you. But on that day it will be too late when the Lord shall shut the door, then the rule will be ask and it shall not be given to you. Seek and you shall not find. Knock and the door shall not be opened to you. I do not know you comes the reply. Let's turn to Matthew 7 and it tells you beginning with verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's what readiness is all about. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then will I tell them, it will be Christ himself telling, I never knew you away from me you evil doers we are told here outside is weeping and gnashing of teeth inside is feasting and joyful celebration form without power Paul says that in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 let's turn to that place and read it so that we will understand something about foolishness mark this There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And now says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Form can fool many, but the day will differentiate between the externally religious and internally religious. Externally religious are people who will prophesy, cast out demons, perform miracles, and and bark like dogs, and laugh like drunkards. But you will not go in. He will say what? I never knew you. Go home and read Genesis 18 and verse 19. It says, I have chosen Abraham. He knows Abraham. Concerning Moses, Exodus 33, 17, I knew you and I know you. Jesus said, I know my sheep. And 2 Timothy 2, verse 19, the Lord knows those who are his. Let's ask the question, from, from when? He started knowing us. Oh, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Look at it. You and I will not hear the word that I never knew you because the scripture tells us that he knew us. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew. Means foreloved. He also predestinated to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be firstborn among many brothers. We may pretend that we know him doesn't mean anything. What matters is whether he acknowledges that he knows us. 
or will he say workers of iniquity? They were not really virgins at all. They pretended to be. They fooled a lot of people. They in fact were not surrendered to Jesus Christ. Jesus exposes their inner wickedness by saying, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Let's turn to this uh, book of Isaiah, a very important passage, 65th chapter, where beginning with verse 13, there is a distinction made between my servants and my enemies. On that day, the day of Jesus Christ, <laughs> the enemies of God will be excluded, the phonies will be excluded, the pretenders will be excluded, the lazy will be excluded, the unreflective will be excluded, the emotional only people will be excluded. Let me read to you. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says my servant will eat. That's wonderful, isn't it? He'll be admitted to his presence and my servant will eat. Now, see the contrast. But you will go hungry. My servant will drink, but you will go thirsty. Listen to it. My servants will rejoice, but you will be what? Put to shame. My servant will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. I want to counsel you. Be ready. Be thinking. Understand the gospel. Ask now. Seek now. Knock now. Desire the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Surrender to Christ. Worship and serve him in truth. For God has made him wisdom for us. Righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Do not become a Christian to get out of trouble in this world. The wise are those who know the will of God and do them. Then it will be too late. Jesus said lay up your treasure in heaven. We are no moth and rust will destroy. And no thief will break in and steal. Don't be blind. Don't be nearsighted. Have forethought. He may come today. Or you may die today. Are you ready, friends? Are you ready? Do not believe in the phony Christianity. The popular Christianity. The truth is we respect every other book than the Bible. We respect every other stupid philosophers and scientists than Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who revealed to us the will of God. Every eye closed and every head bowed. Ask this question. Am I a wise virgin? Or am I a foolish one? Will I eat with him and drink with him, rejoice with him, sing with him? Or will I be hungry and thirsty? Will I weep and be put to shame on that day when no one can repent? Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. The door is still open, isn't it? Hallelujah. He says, come unto me, I will give you rest that he never drives away anyone who comes to him. This is the time of mercy and great grace. 
Heavenly Father, we pray that you bring us to sobriety. Remove the scales from our eyes. Help us to understand the gospel. May we not just say, Lord, Lord, but help us to understand that lordship and surrender our lives to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is coming again in glory and in great power to judge every wicked person, to exclude every wicked person, but to admit us who love God into this eternal joy of his presence, that he may forgive us all our sins and clothe us his perfect righteousness. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. Grace Valley Christian Center is committed to the unchanging truths of the Holy Scriptures. We have been proclaiming the whole counsel of God since 1974 through our weekly worship services, our website resources, and our publishing ministry. For more information about our church, to find more edifying sermons, or to order books by the Rev. P.G. Matthew, please visit our website at gracevalley.org.